I wished I could breathe for him, Amma wrote to me. Grandpa died the following day. He left behind a series of cassette tapes, recordings of his voice when he had been stronger. He called them prayers for my family, each one labeled for each person, even one for me. Eldest daughter of Lee family, Joanne. That was an excerpt of a story that didn't make the cut. And this is the Korean Vegan Podcast, where we talk about how to live a more purposeful and empowered life. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Korean Vegan Podcast. We have got a lot of ground to cover, a story that didn't make the cut, a recipe for that time of the month, as is usual. If reading the newsletter is more your style, there's a link to that below. And just FYI, there are a ton of amazing, adorable photos that I also included in the readable version. But otherwise, buckle up, because this one is going to take you places. So the manuscript I handed into my editor many moons ago was quite a bit longer than what actually made it into the Korean vegan cookbook. In retrospect, I'm glad that so many of them were sort of cut from the final product because as my editor knew at the time, that's what they're there for, they weren't ready to be shared in a way that I could love and be proud of. Luckily, now I have this podcast as a vehicle for me to share bits and pieces of stories from my family that you may not have heard before. Now, as you may have seen on my Instagram, after spending a couple weeks with me in LA to help us settle into our new home, my mom finally went back to Chicago. Seeing her car disappear beyond the curve of our road filled me with a sadness I hadn't felt since I was in college. My sister-in-law once shared with me that she begged and cried to have her own mother stay with her in Seattle for a few extra weeks when Liam, my nephew, was born. And I remember thinking then how strange it was that a grown woman would beg and cry for her mom to stay. But oh, how the tables have turned. My mother was the second oldest among her siblings. My grandparents, as was typical of that generation in Asia, were determined to have a son. My grandmother underwent life-threatening miscarriages and buried more than one baby in that attempt. Amma, seeing all of this as a little girl and terrified she might lose her mother, begged her parents to stop trying and offered to be the son of the family. As a result, she started as my grandfather's apprentice at the tender age of eight. Instead of staying at home with the rest of the family, Amma traveled with grandfather to Seoul, where he worked as a janitor and, in his spare time, was building their home. Amma's apprenticeship was not without its hiccups, particularly in the beginning. They didn't live inside a building because they didn't have one. They camped outdoors. Amma was in charge of cooking dinner for her father, even though there was no kitchen. On their first day, she was tasked with making ramyeon. Having never cooked before, she presented her father a pot of raw noodles soaking in cold water. <laughs> that summer and for the rest of the year, Amma was her father's little helper. She ended up skipping school altogether, learning instead how to boil water over a campfire and lending her small hands to tasks around the house my grandfather was building for everyone. Amma doesn't realize this now. 
but she wasn't the only one who learned a thing or two during her internship. Fast forward about three decades. My parents, having emigrated to the U.S., moved into a squat, faded blue ranch house in Skokie, Illinois. I often call it the Skokie house, outfitted with a burgundy crabapple tree in the front, a neglected old tool shed in the back, and a friendly screen door, you know, the kind that makes that noise. My maternal grandparents lived with us from as early as I can remember until I was about four years old, after which they moved into an apartment or apate of their own in the city. And my paternal grandmother, Chin Harmony, moved in with us to take care of me and my brother while my parents worked. As I got older, Chin Harmony occasionally left our Skokie house to visit home, i.e. Korea, sometimes for months at a time. I vividly recall the first morning I woke up without my mom, who was at work, without my maternal grandmother, who was at her apate, or my chinharmani, who was in Korea. I was eight years old. There were no clothes sitting on the end of the bed for me to wriggle into, so I picked up my favorite blue and white striped dress shirt along with a pair of flowered socks. There was no one to brush my hair, so I ran the pale yellow comb sitting on the bathroom vanity through the tangled black cloud around my shoulders. I wandered down to the kitchen. There was no boiled egg, no boiled hot dog, no tall glass of milk. I know. This is what passed for healthy back then, but I digress. Waiting for me on the table. Stomach growling, I turned the latch of our screen door and padded out in my harmony's oversized slippers to the backyard. There I was met by three men. My father, my uncle, Samchun, and my grandfather. Each of them was puffing his way towards the butt of a cigarette. Again, it was the 80s. Grandpa sat on a foldable yard chair beneath the shallow eaves of the tool shed while Daddy and Samchun hovered over him, chatting about this and that. I had never seen my gentle grandfather smoking before, but as he pulled down on his cigarette, looking aimlessly out at the yard while my father and uncle yammered on above him, it struck me all at once that he was still the patriarch of our family, and I grew suddenly shy. Who's going to braid my hair? I asked tentatively in Korean. Daddy and Samchun kept talking. Grandpa kept smoking. I cleared my throat and tried again. Who's going to braid my hair? All three shifted their gaze to me. They looked at me like I was an alien who had fallen from the clear blue sky right into the unpaved cement of the tool shed. I don't know how, I faltered. I need to go to school soon, I finished. Here. Here, come to me, my grandfather motioned with one hand as he smushed down the butt of a cigarette with the other. He pulled out a couple rubber bands from his pocket, and I sat down, cross-legged right in front of him. I could smell the residue of tobacco ashes on his hands as he deftly pulled my hair into two even braids on either side of my head. It was a smell I grew to love, even after learning all about how cigarettes are bad for you, even after my grandfather died of emphysema. I went to school that day knowing I didn't look as perfect as I normally would, but armed with an understanding of the men in my life that emboldened me, toughened me, completed me. Growing up, I knew that my mother and grandfather had a special relationship, that Sunbi was my grandfather's favorite, even though my grandparents eventually had their golden son. Oddly enough, my mother and my uncle take after my grandfather. They are both lean and sinewy, where my aunts all resemble my grandmother, stocky and lovably round. To me, the fact that Amma looked so much like my grandfather was just another sign of how they were like peas in a pod. 
Grandpa had been living in Chicago for a handful of years before my mother had to drive him to the hospital because he couldn't breathe. He was admitted to the intensive care unit and diagnosed with acute pulmonary failure. He was connected to a breathing machine and sedated for two days. When he woke up, startled, he tried to remove all the tubes coming in and out of his body. They told him he had to wait 10 full days before he would be allowed to breathe on his own again. He had my mother bring photos of his American grandchildren so he could look on them as he counted down the days until he could fill his lungs without a machine. On the 10th day, he passed a note to my mother. Sunbi, you promised to remove this tube today. The tube was removed and for a few glorious hours, my grandfather was able to taste the air. Inevitably though, his lungs began to fail again. My mother sat at his bedside watching her father's labored breath steal across his face like a thistle of clouds. I wished I could breathe for him, she wrote to me many years later. Grandpa died the following day. He left behind a series of cassette tapes, recordings of his voice when he had been stronger. He called them prayers for my family, each one labeled for each person even one for me, eldest daughter of Lee family, Joanne. So this was one of the many stories that hit the cutting room floor before my book was put together and published. It is one of the stories that at the time I wrote it a couple years ago, genuinely wasn't ready to be shared emotionally or artistically, but now I felt like it was one that I could share with you all. And I'm really grateful that you took the time to listen. Now, shifting gears a little bit, as some of you may have seen, I recently worked with this really cool company, Rael, a Korean and women-owned holistic period and beauty brand to bring to you a video and story on spinach tenjang soup. This was definitely one I had to consult my mom on because we wanted to come up with a recipe that was supposed to help people who go through PMS once a month. So it was like, what's really good for PMS, Amma? It turns out that spinach or any really good leafy greens and soy are among a short list of things that can help to mitigate the effects of PMS. I will be adding this recipe uh, to the TKB meal planner, but I've also jotted it down for the newsletter subscribers. I'll include a link below. But honestly, you should also just do the meal planner since it comes with all the macros, 2000 recipes, and of course, free monthly cooking demos and lives. So like I said, if you want the recipe for this spinach tenjang soup, you can find a link to that in the show notes below. So every week I invite listeners and readers to submit a question about life, about careers, about love, about going vegan. And this week Paige submitted the following. Hi, Joanne. I've struggled with a variety of addictions for a long time. And even though I am celebrating sobriety, I still find myself having a very hard time breaking bad habits. How can I get better at stopping unhealthy coping mechanisms? Paige. Well, Paige, first of all, 
Congratulations on achieving sobriety. As I'm sure you know, I literally cannot overstate the amount of work, commitment, and in some cases, outright pain you had to undergo in order to reach this particular summit. Every single day of sobriety is another opportunity to celebrate you and your journey. And I hope you never forget that. And I'm not just saying that in this like sort of touchy feely aunt Joanne sort of way. This is also strategic. The best way to kick ineffective habits is to replace them with productive ones. And a big part of creating new habits is rewarding them. Science demonstrates that it takes about three months to create a new habit, good or bad. Three months can seem like an insurmountably long time to repeat any behavior or avoid one, but here are a few tips that might make that process a little bit more manageable. Start simple. Identify the bad habit you'd like to replace and then replace it with a good habit that's fairly easy. For example, when I'm working on cutting out refined sugar in my diet, I replace all the donuts, cakes, and cookies in the pantry with fresh fruit, not sugar-free baked goods. Baking sugar-free is not simple or easy. It's actually the opposite. There is nothing simpler than reaching over and picking out a banana or a peach or apple or cherries, and after a while, it becomes like second nature for me, and I stop craving chocolate cake. Be consistent. This should be a no-brainer. Repetition is the single most important factor to creating habits. But it's funny how we can trick ourselves into thinking we are repeating a certain behavior over and over when in actuality, we're really only doing it a few times, like sporadically here and there. This is where I think keeping a journal can be immensely helpful. Not only will it keep you accountable, for example, oh, it looks like I only did the fruit thing two times this week instead of every day, even though it really felt like every day, but it may reveal hidden roadblocks and hindrances that are making it unnecessarily harder for you to keep consistent. Oh, it seems like I tend to go for cake when I'm with friends or out to dinner. Maybe I can plan around that next time. Incentivize the desired behavior. In other words, reward yourself. And I don't mean any disrespect, but we are like Pavlov's creatures and respond to conditioning in the same way. When you consistently reward yourself, your body's muscle memory will remember that this particular act equals good feelings. For me, I always rewarded my choice of fruit over donuts by watching a little TV with my dessert. It was my time to zone out after a long day of work and cooking. A couple final thoughts. First, Please, please, please know that there is literally no shame in seeking help, especially from addiction professionals and support groups. These individuals have the expertise or lived experiences that perhaps family members or friends do not, and therefore can be an invaluable tool in maintaining your sobriety. And that's the second piece page, maintenance. Sometimes we're led to believe that once we reach the summit, the hard work is done. It's true that you should be able to jump up and down, do the tiger fist pump into the air, lie flat on the ground and gaze up at the sky above you as you let your limbs recover from all the work they've done getting you up there. But then you have to collect yourself as you prepare to take that next step. Whether it's down the other side or up the next mountain, it'll never be easy. You see, addiction leaves a mark. Depending on the severity of your addiction, that mark can be shallow, barely visible, or in some cases, it can be deep and cause permanent damage. 
A couple weeks ago, I talked about Jacob wrestling with God and how he walked away from that fight with a permanent limp. However high you climb, Paige, there may always be a small part of the wound that led to your addiction that remains unhealed. But the good news is this. Whether you allow that wound to weigh you down or propel you to even greater heights is entirely up to you. Thanks, Paige, for submitting your question. If you have a question that you'd like my thoughts on, and it can be about anything, I'll include a link in the show notes below. So just a few words on my Boston trip. As you all know, I did an event in Boston, a cooking demonstration, as well as a book signing. Thank you, Boston. I had an amazing time. But one of the few things that I love to do when I visit a new city is to head over to the local independent bookstores and sign a bunch of books. So I did exactly that. If you are in the hunt for some signed books that will ship all over the United States, you can find them at Harvard Bookstore, Trident Booksellers and Cafe, Brookline Booksmith. I'll include links to all three of those independent bookstores in Boston in the show notes below. Of course, if you're in the SoCal area and want some delicious vegan food, like seriously delicious vegan food, while picking up a signed copy in person, you can always find them at my favorite local hang, Joy Cafe. And just a tip, if you get there super early in the morning, there's a good chance that you can even say hi. Announcements. Make sure to join me for a live cooking demo on Wednesday, May 25th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. That would be tomorrow night. I'll be showing everyone how to make my gochujang mushroom pasta, which seriously is so good. Just a heads up, I include one monthly cooking demo and or live Q&A as part of the Korean Vegan Meal Planner. If you want to continue getting cooking demos, live Q&As, and thousands of recipes, thousands of plant-based recipes, which I'm adding to all the time. Just join the meal planner. It's really great. I used to charge about $20 to $25 a pop for these live cooking demonstrations. And now I am charging half that price per month. And on top of getting that cooking demonstration, you get thousands of recipes, all the macros, food coaches, newsletters, just a whole bunch of other stuff. It's one of the things that I am so grateful that I am able to do for you all at a much cheaper price than I was before. I am super excited about this event that I'm going to be doing with the Smithsonian. I know the Smithsonian. Who of you are thinking now about the best show ever, Bones? <laughs> that was like my favorite, favorite show. And the star of that show also happens to be vegan. She used to work for the Smithsonian in the show. And now I'm getting to do a plant-based panel with the incomparable Miyoko Skinner, the founder of our favorite dairy-free butters and cheeses, as well as Joe Yonan, the food editor of the Washington Post and best-selling author of Cool Beans. So I will include a registration link in the show notes below. It starts at 4 p.m. Eastern tomorrow. So make sure to go ahead and register for that. Just wanted to make sure you saw the roundtable discussion I did with Eva Pilgrim and Candice Kumai for AANHPI Heritage Month on ABC News Live. Honestly, I had these women over in my kitchen and we sat down. It was sort of like the Asian view. That's what we kept joking it was. Um, it was so great. 
But honestly, one of the best parts is the surprise cameo. If you watch the whole thing from the beginning to the end, I'll include a link to it in the show notes below. You will find a very small, very, very brief cameo that just makes me laugh so much. Also wanted to make sure you caught the interview I did with the Weather Channel. It was a great conversation that I did with Deborah Shigley for her show, Go-Getters. Again, I will include a link to that in the show notes below. Parting thoughts. Yesterday, Anthony and I discussed how to cope when someone you look up to disappoints you in a really hurtful way. I know we say to each other all the time, no one's perfect, but sometimes it's easier for us to hold on to the belief that some people in our lives are perfect and when they make a mistake. And by mistake, I'm not talking about forgetting to add the salt or misspelling your name. I'm talking about the kind of mistake that can end friendships or at the very least radically change the level of trust. When they make such a mistake, we might instinctively look inwards. Maybe they're not the ones who made the mistake. Maybe I did something to deserve this hurt. We do this even when we know in our hearts that the other person is in the wrong because we can't control how they act. We can only control how we act. If it's something we did, it's me, not you. It's fixable. Sometimes, even the person you look up to the most in the whole world your mom, your dad, your favorite aunt, your favorite movie star, your favorite activist, your favorite writer, your favorite politician, your favorite mentor will do something that is completely out of line with who you thought they were. And you may even be the target of their behavior. It's okay to sit and mourn the loss of the person you thought they were because however unreal that person now seems, for a while, they were as real as you and I. But don't make the mistake of internalizing that loss, transforming your grief into some failing on your part as an attempt to manage the pain. Take heart. Be brave. Say goodbye. And surge ahead. Thanks everyone for tuning in to another episode of the Korean Vegan Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a comment and rating below, however you're listening. And of course, please go ahead and share this episode with your friends, with your family, your colleagues, or anyone else you think might be inspired by the Korean Vegan Podcast. Until next week, have a wonderful, lovely day.